You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The parties are divided in terms of the effect that the stimulus is going to have. This inflation debate has really been heating up the effect of what the Biden administration is spending on political capital. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. A group of centrists are the key senators to watch. Joe Biden, his number one focus in addition to the COVID health crisis is jobs. I don't think we have red roads and blue roads, and that's the way we're looking at this. Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden gets ready to address the nation after stimulus gets a green light. But is it a green light for infrastructure? And an exclusive conversation with Congressman Michael Waltz, Republican from Florida. First, though, the big story in a surprise move. President Biden signed his massive COVID relief bill into law today, a day earlier than plan. Not a single Republican in Congress voted for the measure at the bill signing in the Oval Office. The president had this to say. He says the public is on his side. Here's the sound on this from President Biden. It's clear that an overwhelming uh, percentage of uh, the American people, Democrats, independents, our Republican friends, have made it clear, the people out there, made it clear they strongly support the American Rescue Plan. And I believe this is, and most people I think do as well, this historic legislation is about rebuilding the backbone of this country and giving people in this nation, working people, middle-class folks, uh, people who built the country, a fighting chance. Meanwhile, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi says that they didn't like the price tag. Republicans didn't like the price tag of the stimulus and claim most of the provisions in the bill aren't going to fund efforts to curb the pandemic. She responded to the Republican criticism with the following. We do not uh, uh, prioritize our values and how we can get make a difference in the lives of the American people uh, to be attuned to the bankruptcy of ideas that the Republicans have. Earlier today, I spoke with Republican Florida Congressman Michael Waltz, who responded to such criticism. Well, look, I, what I think would, would have been a good approach is to spend the trillion dollars that's sitting there already, still unspent. Let's see what effect that has on the economy. But at the end of the day, if you want to open the economy or if you want to stimulate the economy, open up. I think Florida, we've done a great job of walking that fine line. Our unemployment rate in the states now dropped to 5.1 percent. Uh, and it just it, it's really kind of jaw dropping to me that we've spent now more trying to deal with covid uh, than we spent on World War Two 
uh, and it's larger than the GDP of any country in the world except the U.S. and, and China. I mean, it's really, it, it really truly is incredible. Then how much pork, uh, how much non-COVID-related expenses are, are thrown into this package? Well, so many small businesses have had to add plexiglass, add signage, and people aren't even going back into the office. So, I mean, if you're a small business owner, it's in, uh, yeah. how, how do you navigate and weather that storm? Well, and that's the portions of COVID that I've fully supported. The Paycheck Protection Program, I mean, the average loans for 80% of the program have been 150000 or less that have gone to the very smallest of the businesses. But the focus there has been keeping people on business payrolls, not on unemployment payroll. And what I'm hearing from business after business is they actually things are starting to open up again, they can't hire people back because they're making more on unemployment with the federal supplement that this bill just extended now till the fall than they are back on the job. Uh, and so it's actually, this package is gonna slow down our growth uh, rather than accelerate it in many ways. Debt to GDP ratio over it's the- through the roof. It's, it, it's, and now we talk about infrastructure spending trillions more dollars it's not that people don't want it, it's how do you finance it yeah. with such a uncertain economic well, and the big And the big winner now continues to be China, right? Wow. I mean, they unleashed this virus on the world, clearly covered it up, arresting journalists, arresting doctors, not sharing data with the, with the WHO. Their military planners actually plan on the United States going bankrupt and not being able to afford to compete with them, much like what happened to the Soviet Union or much like happened in the United Kingdom after World War II, so that they then make their moves to become the dominant world power. So we're actually spending ourselves into oblivion and into a position where we can't compete on research and development, we can't continue to build our infrastructure because we can't borrow forever, and we can't compete militarily at China, winner, winner all around. Now we've got a shortage in the semi-supply conductor chip, yeah. and it's impacted a lot of manufacturing jobs domestically, not just from a, a national security perspective. So how, Congressman Waltz, uh, how can Congress facilitate to, number one, address that chip supply shortage, but also to, to diversify some of the economic entanglements away from China and maybe yeah. into Japan, maybe into other markets. So there's two pieces, right? There's the manufacturing of the chips, but then critically, it's the critical rare earth minerals uh, mm. that we're now uh, got a lot of hundred, we're, but we're a hundred percent reliant for half uh, of the rare earth minerals that we need to fund our entire, or to, to build our entire economy, to build uh, uh, the, the uh, manufacturing of electronics, the whole piece. I was just in a hearing this morning where two, uh, excuse me, five out of the six um, uh, critical supply chain categories, we have a massive reliance, not just on overseas supplies, but on China itself. We have to bring that manufacturing back home. And if we can't, then it needs to be near shore to places like India, Australia, Malaysia, where we can depend on those supply chains. I know chains. you're on different sides of the aisle, but John yeah. Garamendi, Congressman Garamendi in the Napa same Valley, yeah. he's saying the same, same thing, thing to me. He said there's a lot of minerals here in the United States. I mean, Australia, Perth, Australia, they have a lot of minerals. But I would challenge Representative mm -hmm. Garamendi then to work with us on some of the environmental regulations that just don't make sense, state, local, and federal, that are so overlapping and so onerous, the average permitting time for a rare earth mine in the United States, seven to 10 years. In Australia, it's two to four. So, right, we all say that we need to bring it back home, but we need to get government out of the way in a responsible way, in a balanced way, 
uh, and streamline some of those regulations. Did you see this article speaking of China? I don't know if you if you if you saw this, but boycotts don't work. U.S. Olympic Committee rejects calls to shun the Beijing 2022 Games. That's in yeah. Newsweek. I mean, you've been really at the forefront of this in the in the Republican Caucus, saying right. there's human rights abuses. There's the, the, the issue of transparency regarding That's the right. virus. Well, what's going on in what's going on in Western China right now with the Chinese Communist Party isn't just human rights abuses; it's genocide. Both the current Secretary of State Tony Blinken agrees, the former Secretary of State agreed. Mass internment, mass uh, slave labor, mass uh, rape and and torture is going on out there. How can we ask our athletes to compromise their values? while that's actually going on. And you know, my question of corporate America, of Airbnb, of Nike, of NBC, who will be broadcasting the games, you know, they are shouting from the rooftops about social justice here in the United States, but that doesn't apply when they're about to make billions off of these games uh, in China as genocide is actively going on, as they're stamping out freedoms in Hong Kong, as two million are dead around the world from the coronavirus that they didn't cooperate with the rest of the world on. So that double standard, I think, needs to be called out. And to the article that they don't work, let's look at the times we didn't do boycotts and maybe we should have. Look at what Germany did after the 1936 games. Look at this uh, Russia who invaded Crimea two months after the Sochi games and look at all that China's done after the 2008 games. How can we give them that global platform to whitewash everything they've done and further their propaganda? And then what's next, Taiwan? Uh, if you follow the history of what happens after you give authoritarian regimes the legitimacy and the spotlight that comes with the games. Secretary of State Tony Blinken is headed to Alaska next yep. week, I believe, yep. to, to meet with uh, some counterparts in, in China. What do you hope he says? And I, I want to be very clear one more thing on the games. The preference always has been to move them out of Beijing. We've been asking the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, to do that for over a year or delay them. Tokyo just delayed their summer games because of COVID. I think we can delay them a year, rebid them, and get them out of a regime that is actively committing genocide as we speak. Uh, I, I certainly hope that Blinken uh, raises this with his Chinese counterparts. I hope he takes a tough stand to get us back to fair trade. The trade imbalance is still way out of whack, and we need to continue that. And then we have to continue to take tougher measures on our IP theft. The Chinese are vacuuming up our intellectual property and our technological edge. Look, at the end of the day, America needs to wake up to the fact that the Chinese Communist Party is in a cold war with the United States, uh, and we're falling behind. They are launching ahead in artificial intelligence, robotics, and all kinds of other critical technologies because they're stealing the way to the top. I do want to ask you quickly about Iran. Uh, because yeah. you helped uh, orchestrate a letter to Secretary Blinken uh, addressing the, uh, with 140 members of Congress, mind you, mm -hmm. uh, addressing the concerns about uh, Iran and the steps that they've taken in, the, in recent years. Yeah. Uh, what do you, uh, this is much more bipartisan, I think, than people necessarily realize. Yeah, Secretary 70, 70 Democrats joined us in saying any future deal has to encompass their support of terrorism, their ballistic missile program, the fact that Iran right now as we speak are holding Americans hostage 
uh, unjustly, uh, and that we have to have a real inspection regime, not one where the inspectors give uh, the, the Ayatollahs a month's notice and can only visit sites that they dictate. So I think that was really an important message from 70 Democrats to join 70 Republicans to say the deal needs to be much broader and much tougher going forward in the future. And I think the way we get there is to keep the maximum pressure campaign in place. First Green Beret in Congress, your, your district borders, I think, Cape Canaveral. Yep. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll interview you in outer space. First Green Beret in space, man. First Let's journalist do it. in space. Yeah, and we're looking to privatize, as you know, yeah. the National Space Station and make it self-sustainable. I mean, it's like a thread, Christine Barada, our executive producer. Second day in a row now, I've said send me to outer space. Christine Barada also wants to go to space, she told me. But, you know... Who knows? Maybe maybe we'll do sound on in space. It's got a nice ring to it. You know, set me up. Uh, that was Congressman <laughs> Congressman Michael Waltz, Republican from Florida. That was his staff cell phone for the record. Not to release. All right. Much more coming up next. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Matt Gorman, Vice President at Targeted Victory and former NRCC Communications Director. Let's continue to talk about the big story tonight. President Biden is going to be delivering an address this evening and continuing to tout the COVID relief bill that will be brought to you, carried here live on Bloomberg Radio at 8.30 p.m. New York time. Let's take a listen to what President Biden had to say about the American Rescue Plan. And we have sounds on this from President Biden. Here he is. Percentage of uh, the American people, Democrats, independents, or Republican friends, have made it clear, the people out there, made it clear they strongly support the American Rescue Plan. And I believe this is, and most people I think do as well, this historic legislation is about rebuilding the backbone of this country and giving people in this nation, working people, middle-class folks, uh, people who built the country, a fighting chance. Congressman Kevin McCarthy weighed in on the stimulus bill, and he says it's not about the virus. Here's the sound on this from Leader McCarthy. This isn't about the virus. As you know, less than 9% is used to defeat the virus. It doesn't prior prioritize school openings. Most of the money for schools doesn't even go out till 2023. Every time we've been able to do a bipartisan bill, what has changed? Administration. And now it's going to be singly one way. You know every time that happens, whatever piece of legislation is made probably has some problems in it. And then, meanwhile, President Biden's set to hit the campaign trail, not for re-election yet. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. We don't know. But to sell the plan to the American people, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki had this to say. Here's the sound on that. He, of course, talked about the importance of, of delivering on the promise of getting every American the $2,000 checks when he campaigned in Georgia in December. So that's a place where that uh, message really resonated, of course, with the people of the state. 
Let's bring into this conversation uh, Jeannie Shanzano. Jeannie, I, I find it fascinating. Up on Capitol Hill, I was uh, in the halls of Congress, as they say, earlier today. And, you know, Republicans are really saying this bill has nothing to do with COVID, the majority of it. They're frustrated with that. And then they're, they're, they're scratching their heads and they're thinking, wait a minute, now he wants to talk about infrastructure. It's fascinating because even in your interview with Representative Waltz, I, I was just amazed because they keep talking about pork in the package, <laughs> and it's it's the same. I know it's number. making me hungry. Yeah, and I then know. Carol Master in the toss was telling me I got oh, to be healthy. I heard that. Oh. That was just for you. I'm like, and, I want a cheesesteak, Dad. Give me a cheesesteak. Go ahead. No, Carol won't allow it. Um, I wonder but, if he's listening, Dad. If you're listening, send me a cheesesteak. Go ahead. <laughs> Oh, tell me if he does. But they're saying, you know, this 91, 90% of, of this is nothing to do with COVID. And that seems to be one line, and they're having real trouble breaking through with that message. But then when I was listening to your interview with Waltz, he also added something that I do think is potentially going to resonate as we move to 2022. And that is the fact we have spent so much that we are no longer competitive with China. We can't compete, to your point, on infrastructure, military, research and development. You mentioned the shortage of chips. And that's where I think Republicans may be headed, because to me, this pork message is not playing. But that wow. message may may resonate with people, all, arguably a bill that's 60, 70 percent of the Americans support at this point. It's going to be hard to break through on that. Once the money goes out, it's hard to get it back in. You know, I mean, I hear your point on that. Jeannie Shanzano, Matt Gorman, come in here, buddy. Well, you know, I, I think it's not just uh, the pork at the at the front end, but. Look, in the last 30 minutes, New York Post has reported that the MTA is calling up wage freezes after the Biden uh, stimulus uh, bill signed. Wow. Right? And so and so, look, maybe some of these monies, municipalities put money toward getting on a sustainable path. But I think it's much more likely they'll just jack up pay and open the hiring spigot for public employees under existing contracts they already couldn't afford before this. So it might not even be just what's in the bill as passed. But what these state and local governments really do with it? Okay, but I gotta I gotta pressure you here, Matt, because I mean you know every Republican in the book, and I know you're behind the scenes a lot, and I know you can't reveal too much of of what you hear from from directly from the members. I respect that, but level with me. I mean, this money when Senator Scott says give it back, they're not gonna give it back, are they? Once it's in their piggy bank, they're gonna keep it. Yeah, no, of course, of course not. Um, and, well, I appreciate uh, the candor. Yeah, no, I mean, they're not going to give it back. I mean, yeah, but like, look, I, I do think in a lot of ways this could be like the stimulus, where number one, you hear a lot more about some of the failures than you do some of the smaller successes. And number two, look, I think when it comes to midterms next year and how this plays in, in a larger uh, kind of context, this won't really be much of a factor. I really think it'll be a little bit broader than that. It'll be about broader, broader when it comes to back to the pandemic. Are people back to normal? Do we have stadiums and concert halls filled again? Do people see Main Street getting back to normal? It'll be much more of a sensory type election than purely who voted for what when. You, you know, let me follow up with you on that. But from the Democratic perspective, Jeannie Shanzano, uh, are Democrats overplaying their hand by by not by focusing so much? And we've only got thirty seconds left by focusing on uh, the the COVID bill and less so on reopening. 
they could be. And it's not only that. Let's look at what's happening on the border, the southern border. Yes. I know you don't have a lot of time, but those kinds of things, uh, you know, two years is, a, you know, or one year, however long we have to the midterm, it's a long way to go. So um, they there's other things they have to watch. And to your point, if they can't pay for infrastructure, can't get immigration, can't get these bills passed, they're going to have to answer for that. Well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about immigration coming up next with Jeannie Shanzano, as well as Matt Gorman. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by Bloomberg Politics contributor Janie Shad Zeno and Matt Gorman. Matt Gorman, Republican insider, uh, who joins us. All right, let's talk about immigration reform. We've focused a lot on this program, Jeannie, with regards to infrastructure. Uh, and but But you alluded to the immigration debate that's brewing. Uh, that's another item on the legislative priority list that just as I'm speaking, I, I just got an email from the RNC uh, pushing out the Biden border crisis, border security experts, the Mexican government and even Biden administration officials say his radical policies are to blame. So the Republicans are attacking the left uh, on on the border. Jeannie. They are because they're looking at the numbers of minors in particular that have come to and crossed the border over the last you know month or so. And they are going to make this case, as you mentioned, that this is a crisis at the border, that the Biden administration should not be surprised by this. And it is a result, they're going to say, of his policies. Now, do I think that's fair? No, I don't. Um, but I do think that it is something, as we think about 2022 and 2024, that, that is the Republicans are going to try to use. So to what we were talking about earlier in terms of does this win on what is a historic bill? And I think we have to underscore that is that, you know, push the Democrats into 2022. I think there's a lot that can come before it. And this is just one thing, certainly not the thing probably the Biden administration wants to address right away because it is chock full of challenges. And I am hard pressed to imagine how they get an immigration bill through with a 50-50 Senate at this point. Well, sticking with immigration and and the impacts of that, I, I in my show prep, I was looking at Andrea Navarro's, my colleague Andrea Navarro's report on the Bloomberg Terminal. Foreigners get vaccinated, too, at U.S.'s busiest border crossing in California's San Diego County. Rolling out a COVID-19 vaccination program hasn't been made easier by the daily ebb and flow of people across the border with Mexico. Long before the Biden administration signaled a return to more humane immigration policies, 
Andrea writes, San Diego's crossing was the busiest in the Western Hemisphere. During the pandemic, nearly 100,000 people a day have continued to cross from Tijuana to work or study and then return, and at least another 160,000 undocumented immigrants already live in the county. Wow. So it's it's fascinating just to see how the vaccination now has been impacted, Mac Gorman, uh, on the immigration front. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. And I think this is something, I think, to, to Jeannie's point, you know, any type of immigration bill is absolutely DOA. Uh, and even if you had, say, 55 votes, I don't think you'd get anything for it, such as the politics are now. Though I think this migrant crisis at the border will inflame both the far right and the far left, the bases of each party, if you will. Look, when you have uh, President Obrador of Mexico calling Biden the, a migrant president, the migrant president, um, and how he references, you know, the, the people coming across the border, that will fire up the far right. But then you also will have the left who want more from, uh, you know, Joe Biden. One of his central promises in the primary was getting a bill, uh, you know, on his desk or dropping a bill on day one for immigration reform. So you're going to have pressure from the left as well on Biden as well as this kind of as this continues. It's going to be an issue that's not going to go away. Well, and, and Justin Sink on the Bloomberg White House team reported uh, earlier this week on Monday, actually, that the Biden administration has offered temporary protected status to an estimated 320,000 Venezuelans who fled their home country, allowing them to legally stay and work in the United States. Venezuelans who are accepted into the program will receive a temporary immigration status, Jeannie, for 18 months, and they will be required to apply in the next 180 days, pay a fee, demonstrate that they were already residing in the U.S., and undergo a background check. But still a massive shift between the two administrations. A massive shift. It is the right policy, I think, but it is one that they're going to have to work as hard to sell as they are selling this COVID relief bill. And I think a sign that the Democrats understand this is that we know now that there's going to be the Democrats, at least some of them, in Congress planning a trip down to the border. Joaquin Castro being one of them. I'm not sure exactly who's going to accompany him, but this is in part because we know there are two Republican trips planned to the area. And I think uh, to what we were talking about earlier, if there's something that pushes Biden to change his tune on the filibuster, it could be something like this. I know Jen Psaki came out and said he's no, he's not interested in that. But you you can't get a bill passed uh, this way. And as much pressure as he gets, I think it will come from immigration because infrastructure, he may find a way to work through reconciliation or with at least some Republican support. I do want to note that Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and White House Domestic Policy Advisor Susan Rice visited a Department of Homeland Security Border Patrol facility earlier this month, along with a Health and Human Services office. Um, uh, so there are a lot of uh, policymakers are now in both sides are, are visiting the border as that uh, continues. Mac Gorman, I mean, she she went nuclear on me. Jeannie Shanzano talking about the nuclear option um, and, and filibuster <laughs> reform. I, I mean, if that happens, I got to I got to I got to get some more sleep because if I got to cover that, that's going to be a doozy. Both sides oh, are really going to be going after each other. That would be an absolute doozy, but, but here's the thing. That's like a wonk war of epic proportions. Go ahead. For those who, oh who don't follow this type of thing. Uh, nerd alert. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, uh, look, I, Biden will never be um, the front kind of spear on filibuster reform. He will not come out in support of it until they actually have the votes publicly 
um, in support of it uh, because he doesn't want to be the guy who comes out in favor of it and Mansion and Cinema are like, nah, we're good. Um, so he will be that the cherry on the proverbial filibuster reform Sunday uh, if it does happen. Um, the talking filibuster is, is an interesting thing, though essentially if you're doing that, you are in essence taking away the, uh, the filibuster anyway because after people get, get sick talking, they will eventually vote. Um, I, I don't see that happening for a while, though something like the Voting Rights Act that they're pushing through the House um, could be the, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. I don't see infrastructure getting that happened. I, I think with the bird rule and going through reconciliation, I'm not sure yeah. that it would, it would le- uh, leave much of an infrastructure package. I'm going to add gun reform to the list of issues that could also ignite a debate over the filibuster. Matt Gorman, thanks for catching up with me, buddy. I appreciate it. Matt Gorman, Republican strategist and he's, uh, vice president at Targeted Victory, former NRCC communications director. Up next, Congressman Dwight Evans, Democrat from Philly. I'm Kevin Cerulli. This is Boomer. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cerulli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzan is with me. Jeannie, you know, I got to say we had this thread going over the last two days with space regulations. And I got to tell you, that's one of the nerdiest things that I'm really into. And I spend a lot of time <laughs> researching it. And I do. And everyone laughs. But I was looking up Bitcoin back a decade ago and for the regs on house financial services. I'm telling you, this space stuff, and it's a lack for lack of a better word, that is really where a lot of policymakers are are laying out the future for. They are. And China, as we keep talking about, yeah. is leading to a certain extent there. And, nah, and NASA is better. I, well, NASA is better. I'm but... not overly competitive or anything. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm pretty and, competitive, mostly I, with myself. <laughs> I will tell you, I had a wonderful faculty member 20 years ago who was writing a lot about space law. It is a real concern. Oh, wow. And it, yeah. And, and a wonderful, wonderful uh, faculty. And there's a lot of research going on. And it is the you know, it is something you are on the cutting edge and we're all going to be there soon. Well, I also think, especially, you know, mining on asteroids and whatnot and and cyber security protections that extends out of the atmosphere. All right. Joining us uh, from not from outer space, but from Philadelphia, I would assume, or here in Washington, D.C. He represents Philly. Uh, Congressman Dwight Evans. He is a Democrat. Congressman, thanks for joining us. How are you? I mean, stimulus day. Thank you very much. How are you? You know, I'm living the dream, you know, day at a time, living the dream. Just can't complain. Beautiful day here in the nation's capital. You're going to be watching President Biden's speech tonight. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And what are you going to be looking for? Well, I'm going to be looking for as we look towards the future. I think the president and the vice president have done a a great job in terms of leadership. Uh, One, attacking the virus. He's been very clear that we have to beat the virus. And then with the American Rescue Act that he's laid together, that was passed by the House and the Senate. Uh, it was very defining in terms of that act and what needs to be done. So it's attacking the virus, and then it's dealing with our economy. And he will lay out, in my view, a strategy about the next step and encourage Americans all to be a part of the solution. It can be just done by government, and I believe he would talk about the kinds of things that we as Americans need to join in. I mean, you know, you have to give people a sense of hope and a sense of, of optimism. But, Congressman, I, 
I got to press you on this because just because I know your district and, and you knew I grew up uh, in, in Delaware County right outside of it. Okay. He's headed to Delco okay. next week on Tuesday, I believe. And okay. there's nothing in this bill for retraining. You know, the refineries that are in the area uh, in, near your district and and how they provide jobs for, for, for a Democratic leaning city and the suburbs that are outside of it. How come there's no money for retraining in essentially it, it, it as and how do you train Americans of all ages? And we, we think of training as a, as a post-college or late teenage type of thing. It's not. It's for 40-somethings, 50-somethings, 60-somethings and many times who have been laid off as a result of the executive orders pertaining to the Keystone Pipeline. Well, you know, Kevin, I always view this as a down payment, uh, a down payment on dealing with this uh, dreadful virus, and that I believe that you will see a long-term strategy around infrastructure uh, in terms of reimagining. We need investment in our water systems, the, I mean, FI, you know, things that we need. So I believe, Kevin, you know, he, he's only been in office about 50 days. Uh, and clearly we in the Congress have to work for him. And I think that we have to not take it for granted. So, you know, give him a chance. And I think that he's been at it every single day. Uh, he's been very clear. He's been very... No, but trying to bring people together. This is important, Kevin. You got to do both. You got to bring people together. You have a plan, the American Rescue Act, and that that's passed. Uh, he's been dealing with the, the vaccine, and that's important. But he's mainly been trying to build a sense of hope among people. I mean, like you asked that question, you know, everything's not going to be in one piece of legislation. Uh, Representative Evans, it's Jeannie Shanzano, and it's great to talk to you. Um, I wanted to ask you about a bill that I know you just co-sponsored, which was Protect the Right to Organize Act, H.R. 842. Can you talk a little bit about what's in that bill and its prospects for passage in the Senate? Well, well, Mon Jeannie, you know, unions have been very essential about building the middle class. And I think it's important that people have a right to organize. And there should not be barriers that prevent them from organizing. So it's clear that we need to make sure, if we're talking about rebuilding the middle class and making sure, to the point Kevin just made, in terms of those workers that he was talking about, a lot of them are union workers. And we've got to ensure that they that nothing impairs them from being, from being organized. So that's basically what we want to do uh, in that particular act. Congressman, you to that point, to follow up on that, I mean, you've been really one of the critical voices on CDFI funding and, and, and helping to provide uh, women who have been uh, disproportionately affected by the post-pandemic economy and minority-owned, or minorities, rather, who have also been disproportionately affected by the uh, pandemic economic results. How do you provide liquidity? And I mean not just cash. I mean crypto. I mean other forms of, of liquidity. Uh, for underserved communities and community banks and financial institution, Congressman, because a lot of these uh, small businesses in in underserved communities really need that now. Not yesterday; they needed it yesterday. Not tomorrow; they need it now. Well, I think that was wrong. That was wrong with the PP uh, Act when we first passed it. It wasn't yep. uh, acceptable and available to people being bankable and having opportunities. That's why we had to do the CDFI, uh, people who did not have banking relationships. The whole aspect is having access to the marketplace 
and be able to get capital, you know, they can build themselves if they got availability of capital and the investments that are necessary. That's where the CDFIs came in, very important as a tool uh, in terms of the availability of dollars. That, that's something we should not take lightly. Uh, you, can't, you, you can't tie one hand behind the back of minority operators and then ask them to develop and grow. That just won't happen. So a part of the, the president's strategy is to kind of do the combination, invest and grow, invest and grow. And I believe that this president, Sean, he has a lot of experience. He's been around a long time. He's bringing a coalition of people together. And he's focusing on the aspect that we have to be, we have to be together in order to make these changes. All right, let's do rapid fire. Best place to get a cheesesteak in Philly? Uh, <laughs> Del Sandro's. Oh! In Roxborough. I got to say, that is a really good place. Um, should the filibuster, should should you abolish the filibuster? Yes, if it's impairing the ability to get something done. You know, if it's impairing to get something done, then that tool is no longer needed. But the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, we have to get something done. We have to be about governing. And we need not to have something that impairs. If you talk, I heard you talk about voting rights. You know, the late John Lewis talked about the importance of voting. And this is something we should not be talking about impairing. There's some states which unfortunately are attempting to impede people that have access to voting. Why would anybody want to impede somebody's right to vote? We should make sure more people vote. Okay, I got to follow up on the filibuster, though, because I think this is a looming fight over the long term. Are you going to regret that if, if uh, Republicans are in control of Congress in the future? I would say no. Re- would why? Say no. I'm, I'm a strong believer in what you call self-enlightened leadership. leadership say that again. Say that again. I missed you. Self-enlightened leadership. Self-enlightened leadership. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Leadership that puts the country first. If you start having people put the country first, we can do a lot of things. It wouldn't be as much confusion as we have that people play petty games and they find ways to try to be distracting to the mission. Why would anybody be against access to voting? Why would anybody be against the right for people to have the right to vote? The debate, debate should be about ideas, not about impeding someone's right to participate got, in the democratic process. All right, we'll get a cheesesteak and we'll talk self-enlightened leadership, Congressman. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate the time. I didn't have enough to ask about Jalen Hurts. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Uh, this month is Women's History Month. And every day we are acknowledging the contributions that significant uh, females have made to the country. Here with today's installment is Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in women's history in 2006, Michelle Bachelet is sworn in as Chile's first female president. She's a lifelong socialist, former political exile, and ex-prisoner of the military dictatorship. Her rise highlighted a cultural shift in a mostly Roman Catholic country that was long regarded as among the most conservative in Latin America. It was also a nation where at the time divorce was only recently legalized and abortion was still illegal at the time. Women were also often earning as much as 40% less than men with similar jobs. By contrast, Bachelet was an agnostic and a single mother of three. She was also the first popularly elected South American female president whose political career was established independently of a husband. She served two separate terms as president of Chile. That's Today in Women's History. 
I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. Jeannie Shanzano, we've got uh, Morgan Ortega's on the program tomorrow. She is a former spokesperson for former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Talk about a great woman. That's going to be a great show. It's going to be a really, really great, great show. All right. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Morgan's on the show tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.